Hello and welcome to the Barefoot Coaching Make a Change to Make a Difference podcast. I'm Adam and in this series I'll be speaking to inspirational people who have made a change in their lives in order to make a difference. A difference for themselves, for others and for the world at large. Expect real stories, insights and wisdom from coaches and non-coaches alike. This is the Make a Change to Make a Difference podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest in this episode is barefoot trained coach and author Carl Perry. I'm really excited about sharing this conversation with you for a number of reasons. At the time of recording, Carl had just completed the barefoot coach training program and he shares his experience of doing so incredibly generously, which I've no doubt will benefit anybody either thinking about training as a coach or who is in the process of training. Carl also shares with me the life changing events that led to him deciding he was going to make a change to make a difference. After being forced to close his well-established business due to COVID-19 and dealing with a personal loss, Carl suffered a cardiac arrest at home. It was this series of events which found him living what he describes as his third life, a life in which a simple conversation with a friend using Barefoot's values cards led him to our door. And I'm very pleased it did too. I hope you enjoy listening. Well, welcome, Carl. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Oh, well, look, I'm very excited to talk to you, not only because your journey into coaching was, I think it's fair to say, an eventful one, but you've also recently completed the programme. So you'll be the first person I've spoken to who has completed the Barefoot Coach Training Programme recently. So I'm really excited to hear how you found it. We are in December now. When did you complete the programme? Um, I think it was about the 8th of November was the, oh, um, the final session. Um, the, I think there was a follow-up. There was a, a mentor session um, maybe a week or so afterwards. Uh, but yeah, beginning of November. Fabulous. And I mean, this is quite a big question to start with, but how did you find, how was that experience for you? I honestly didn't know what to expect, but it was intense, I guess. There was a, an awful lot of information yeah. to absorb. And there was, I'd describe it as a sort of a, a coacher coaster. There were there were highs, there were lows, <laughs> there were hard turns, you know, there were there were all kinds of things. But I was very fortunate that we had a fantastic cohort of people. Um, you know, and you could see that each of us at various stages, you know, we were like wobbly bikes. Um, and everyone acted as stabilizers. Uh, see, I'm already into the metaphor, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's fantastic. <laughs> and I love the idea of a coacher coaster. You might have to trademark that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. There were ups and downs, I guess. There were times where you, you've got self-doubts. There were times where you, you felt like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm so in flow. But by the time we came to conclude, I realise now, looking back, and it's only been a month or so, that my feelings have changed even during that time. It's a bit like, you know when they say you, you take something out of the oven, you've got to let it settle. Yes, let it it's rest. It's a bit like that. Yes, let it rest. It's, it's a little bit like that. It's sort of, I think it takes a while for everything to begin to sink in. Yeah. That, wow, yeah, that's, we covered an awful lot of ground. That's it. And I'm only now beginning to appreciate how much I've learned and how much, how my skills have developed, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting more engaged and involved in coaching. I guess, you know, this is just me, maybe, but you are left at the end of the course because it, it can feel like a bit of a hard stop. Mm. You, you're left with maybe, or I was left thinking, am I good enough to be coaching people? But you realise in a very short period of time, actually, yes, yeah. you are because you've learned so much 
and you, you, you begin to recognize things in sessions that are, oh, hang on, yeah, this relates back to that time when. Yeah. So I, I began to appreciate myself and the learning far more now than where I was at even five weeks ago, mm. which again, you don't, you tend not to forecast how you might feel in five weeks. Mm. So I didn't know I'd feel like this. It's only through that you know, optic of hindsight, I guess, that you can actually compare yourself. So I think I can honestly say, well, I know I can honestly say, the learning continues even after the course is finished. Yeah, I mean, this is, we talk about this as being transformational learning. And you're right, it's, um, it's as much a journey of self-discovery as it is a discovery of learning how to be and act and you know, develop your skills as a coach. And the metaphor you used of the bicycle is a really brilliant one, actually, because you're right, it's, a, it's an intense period of time when there's lots of stuff being thrown at you. Be like this, you know, create ease, listen intently, notice what's not said as well as those things that are said. Be aware of your surroundings. There's a lot to take in. And you're absolutely right. It's only following a period of resting, <laughs> letting it all just sit in a bit like riding a bike i suppose when you stop focusing on how to ride the bike and you just enjoy the process the experience of riding the bike you're so much more present and aware of what's going on for you of course but also the person that you're coaching so beautiful metaphors there to sum up your experience <laughs> well yeah it's um and i can't stress enough the the support you get from from your cohort you know, the support from the tutors is, is amazing, but um, you set up a, a WhatsApp group with your, with your cohort, don't know how much it's going to be used. Well, it's invaluable. <laughs> I, I, honestly think, I honestly think I've learned as much from those people as I did from the, the formal elements yeah. of the, of the programme. Have you reached the point where you've had to put the group on mute yet? Because there's just so much amazing activity. <laughs> Do you know, I haven't oh, yet, but I've got plenty of those kind of groups. <laughs> You're right, yeah. And again, you know, we talk about learning at multiple levels. There's the experience, the learning that you'll take from the reading. There's the experience of the tutors. And of course, they all bring their own lived experience of having tread that path and used coaching. And, and then, of course, their experience of then tutoring. There's what you learn from your fellow delegates. There's what you will learn and be reminded of about yourself. The learning is, it really is across all different aspects of the of the experience, which is one of those things that makes it magical and I suppose really is a true adult learning experience. Yes it is and that's something I guess I hadn't fully taken into account uh, you know having run my own businesses I, I suppose I put formal training on on mute you know there's so many things to do in businesses and develop it and take on staff etc etc so this was the first time I'd gone back to you know or become an adult learner right. um, and I, I think I've possibly underestimated how tiring that could be initially. Just, just opening your mind to absorbing information, um, you know, and, and interacting with the content of the course, mm. it initially was really quite tiring. Mm. But then, you, you, again, you kind of settle into a bit of a flow, a rhythm, and, yeah, it, it's a bit of a, a, a sorry, sad full stop when it comes to an end. <laughs> but we've, we've set up our own um, kind of drop-in clinics first Wednesday of every month, I think they are. So each month we're just going to, you know, if we can, if we're around, we're around. We'll drop into, you know, we'll, we'll just set up a Zoom chat. And if we're around, we're around. And if we're not, we're not. But we yeah. just want to keep in touch that way. Yes. And even this week, 
there was a message on my, I was OL3. So I was early sort of <laughs> wow. 2020 during lockdown. And we were all sort of trying to navigate the world of lockdown and coach training and working from home and all of that sort of stuff at the same time. But, you know, even last night, one of our cohort set up a Zoom check-in seven to eight. And, you know, anyone that was around could drop in and I couldn't make it, unfortunately. But it's things like that that just sort of keep you connected. And, and you know, when you'll continue to experience each other's journeys and the various different avenues that people go down or don't for years to come. So, yeah, that's wonderful. I'm interested in what you said about allowing it all just to sink in the equivalent of sort of resting a steak yes. or something yeah. before you carve <laughs> it. And with the benefit of the hindsight that that's created... How are you thinking and feeling about your experience differently? Well, I guess I, I sort of questioned myself initially as to how much I genuinely had taken in. Whereas now, after the passage of even a short amount of time, it, it feels like I can recognise that no, a lot has sunk in. It's just not all near the surface. You have to dig a little bit deeper. Or rather, if a situation arises, it pops to the surface. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember us discussing you know, that particular situation or angle or whatever it is. So it, it feels like there's a whole load of unopened prezzies waiting, waiting to be unwrapped, <laughs> you know, because I, I've, I've yet to find them. I, and I think I did expect, you know, very early on, I remember somebody saying, we're probably going to, uh, you know, find we use 20% of the tools 80% of the time or, or something like that. Um, and, I, and I guess that's true. And so you forget the other gems that are hidden away. Although having said that, having made reference to the tools, most of my coaching thus far has really been kind of conversational. It's, it's rare, to be honest, for a, a tool to, to pop up. It, it happens, but uh, mostly it's conversational. Um, and it's incredible, you know, the number of people you speak to who actually, the value they get out of it is actually spending an hour and a half or so just having a chance to talk about themselves. Yeah. You know, that, that in itself, being listened to, yeah. is, is incredibly powerful for a lot of people. Yeah, when else do we get that opportunity outside of a job interview where there's an intense pressure <laughs> to really just talk about ourselves? And yeah, exactly as you described, really, it becomes a conversation. Yeah, it, it really does. The difference is, having gone through the course, it's not a coffee shop conversation. You know, why am I talking? So there's a lot more intent from my side put into the listening that was a bit of a, a revelation to me. One of the things that kind of drew me to coaching, I think, was my ability, I believe, to, to get on with people and, and, and talk to people and try and bring out the best in people. But very early on, I realised that, ah, hang on a minute, this is, this is not about you, Carl. This is about working harder on the listening, which even now, sometimes, you know, there's a little, little voice in me that wants to dive in and hold back, hold back. But it's, um, yeah, giving someone the chance to, to speak is, is quite a gift, really. Mm. They seem to get an awful lot out of that, that period. Yeah. yeah, and it's particularly helpful to bear in mind going through the programme that it's easy for people to sort of become focused on this idea of a powerful coaching question. I must ask powerful coaching questions. That That's right. Bring about revelations and, you know, and hidden truths and that, that enable then transformational change. And one of the best pieces of advice I was giving on the program was quite often the most powerful questions are the simplest ones. Yeah. That as the person asking, you would have no idea how powerful that simple question, you know, might be. 
absolutely. Asking, well, why is that? Could just open up 30 minutes of, <laughs> of I say conversation, but basically a coachy talking sometimes, it, you know, it, mm. it can be that simple. But yeah, you're right. There was always a desire to come up with a killer question yes. or see some real significant mobility in a session, yeah. which that, that rarely happens. And that's, that's addressing my selfish need <laughs> as well. It's that, you know, there's, there's a no benefit really to the person who sat in front of me. They just want to talk things through and explore and mine down into an issue. Yeah. It's a really fulfilling experience. Yeah. You know, the more, the more I'm finding I'm, I'm getting into it. Brilliant. There's two things you said there that stand out to me. The first is going back to a point you made earlier around your experience on the program and how much of the change in you happened outside of the taught sessions. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And of course, we know the same is true for the clients we work with. They might be with us for 60 minutes. They might be with us for 90 minutes. And it's easy to sort of, I suppose, particularly when you are on the program, you're first sort of starting out, to feel as though you have to, in that time, you have to get them to a place. Absolutely. Yeah. To demonstrate your worth, it feels or it felt like. Even now, sometimes, you know, say even now, as though I've been doing this for years, even now, five weeks after the course, <laughs> <laughs> I can finish a session and think, mm, I feel a bit of a fraud there because I, I don't feel like I'm contributing much. But that's, that's kind of the point, in a way, not to, not to be contributing, you know, to allow, it's their space, to allow the coachee to lead it absolutely is. And of course, this is why we contract. If the if the client wants to use that that time purely just to get things off their chest that, that for whatever reason they feel unable to be able to do with somebody else, then that is in itself a service to the client. And I recognise something you said as well about sort of, oh, I feel a bit of a fraud or I remember when I was coaching my volunteer clients feeling Oh, you know, I don't think I did a very good job there. I don't really feel like there was any, it felt sort of transactional. I didn't really get that they were either taking it seriously or that I was perhaps asking the right questions to get there. And of course, that was my own ego telling me, you know. Absolutely. That it's yeah. actually about me. And of course it's not. And it wasn't until, for example, I connected with one of my volunteer clients, probably about 18 months later, and I would have had no idea of this at the time, that she said, gosh, you know, our conversations really did, Put a lot of things in perspective for me and have changed so much you know I've changed jobs I've moved cities I, you know you supported me through a really difficult period through lockdown I would have had no idea that that was the case at the time and I no. suppose that's the that's incredible magic of it really as well stay with the not knowing as we say stay stay with the not knowing yeah uh, embrace embrace that it's really the the key difference between that coffee shop conversation and a coaching conversation I don't need to know the ins and outs of um, everything. You know, prior to the course, I would have asked and have got no value out of it whatsoever and not contributed to you know, any mobility for the, for the coachee. So yeah, it, it's been quite an incredible journey. And I find myself now, you know, even in normal day-to-day -day conversations, secretly asking coachy type questions <laughs> to try and elicit responses and you know, take a conversation away from where someone might might have thought it had gone. And I, and I know it's really sneaky, but I really, it gives me a kick <laughs> to see where they go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also hard to turn it off, right? It, it is, It becomes yeah. part of our being and, um, and not just something that we sort of get out and use for a bit. And it's, you know, it's hard to switch off. And I'm interested in that, actually. 
what change have you noticed in the conversations that you might have with friends and family following the course? Well, a few of them have grown a little wise to it now. So, you know, a conversation will be unfolding and then uh, one of you know somebody might say, uh, hang on a minute, are you coaching me? <laughs> Rumbled. Um, how, well, I guess it's, it's, I'm giving up more airspace, I think. I'm giving up more airspace. And if, I'm, if I can see a conversation of a coachy nature sort of unfolding, I guess I embrace it. I embrace it more, you know, even in normal day-to-day speak. You know, I was out yesterday with a couple of guys, sort of worky thing, and, you know, we got talking, and it turned into almost a coaching conversation, talking about jobs, work, you know, family. And it was just really intriguing that I found myself not necessarily, for that period of time, not necessarily being, you know, that bloke down the pub. It was a completely different conversation we were having, like grown-ups. Wow, how sensible. (laughs) (laughs) That's fabulous. Looking back on your experience of being on the course, you talked about highs and lows of the sort of the coacher coaster what were the standout moments for you if indeed there were any well pretty much bang on halfway through was probably my lowest point I almost expected it so I don't know whether this was self-fulfilling but you know there's there's always a messy middle Mm. in a project where you know you've, you've got an idea of the goal but everything looks so far away from that that you can't imagine it ever being achieved. And I think I felt a little bit swamped with, well, there's certainly a sense of overwhelm with absorbing information, probably had a few observed sessions by then, you know, and finding it was just challenging. Like you said, you almost went through a tick list, didn't you, of pre-flight checklist of, of things you've got to do. And I just didn't seem to be hitting them. And I was thinking, maybe just, maybe I'm not cut out for this. I needed to do it to find out that I can't. You know, maybe maybe that was the case. But interestingly enough, quite a few others were feeling like that Mm. as well. So I just put that to one side. So I think this is just part of the learning process. And um, yeah, got threw myself back into it. And I think also once you've developed enough of a rapport relationship with your cohort, to be honest with each other, and people start sharing how they're feeling, it actually lifts you if you're feeling a little bit low and likewise you know the conversation lifted other people yeah that was probably the the lower point of the the coacher coaster but conversely the getting over that and talking more openly with other people and allowing probably a bit more of myself in was what lifted me to the highs and and that letting myself in I I really did block myself out to start off with because I felt that if I let too much of myself in then I wouldn't be that coach allowing curiosity to, you know, be woven throughout the conversation. So I almost kept myself at arm's length and then realised that actually if I do that, I'm not going to enjoy this. I've got to let myself in. Otherwise, why do it? So, but it took a while to, you know, for that to to sink in. Sounds crazy, that, doesn't it? Trying to keep part of yourself out. And, And I think this is why our conversation, the conversation that we're having now is really important. The idea that, we have to be a particular way to be able to be a coach. And we talked on our last episode, I talked to Diane Hanna, who was a tutor. She now tutors on our PG Cert Supervision and Team Coaching Practitioner Programme. And we talk about, you know, who we are is how we coach. And knowing that we can bring some more of ourselves into those conversations. For example, it was a revelation to me. 
when I realized that I could use humor in a coaching session. God, heaven forbid, yeah. can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I, that's, that's a key thing for me. Almost every conversation I have with whoever, um, there's always a bit of humor yeah. in there. And I, and I turned it into dry, stale conversation. I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I can't. I can't work this way. And once you realise you can allow humour, your personality, you know, into into the whole yeah, process. Playfulness. I think that's where the value comes in. And I, I, God knows why I thought it, but you know, when I think about coaches, I I know now some of them are really irreverent and you know <laughs> use all manner of language, but they're really effective. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? There's a coach out there for every person. This is why we do chemistry sessions, because there has to be a sense of a sort of a vibe, really, a chemistry. I feel like I'm just full of young quotes at the moment, but there's some, <laughs> there's something about two people coming together and that chemistry that sort of creates. I'll find the quote and I'll I'll read it out at some point. <laughs> but yeah, the coming together of two substances and a chemical reaction takes place and the magic is created, and that's the power, you know, for me anyway, of the coaching space. So I'm I'm glad that you got there in time for you to really then enjoy the experience of, of bringing more of yourself to the learning yeah and, and and i think it's still happening i think that's that's still an ongoing process you know gradually a little more of me is coming into each session and i feel more comfortable with it and therefore the session feels more comfortable if that makes sense yeah doesn't feel as stilted or clinical yes there's a there's an ease then that that's yeah. created i'm going to reach for your book which we will talk about, bear with. Because I, I went through and I put some post-its in of particular wow. you know, pieces. Somebody and... put post-its in my book, wow. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> here we go, it's a fabulous quote. I read this to our MD this morning who thought it was hilarious. And it links to something you said before about the feedback that you receive on the course. And I got a sense from you that perhaps there was some feedback that you didn't, either didn't want to hear or didn't enjoy hearing and the same was true for me actually in the program and it reminded me of that Gloria Steinem quote that you've put in your book <laughs> do you know the one <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but it says the truth will set you free but first it will piss you off <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and I thought that I mean that just sums it up fabulously how was that experience then of being given feedback that oh I, do you know the actual formal feedback um i had no issue with at all that was really useful the feedback from my cohort really useful the feedback inside my own head was <sighs> was really tough to manage because you know no big surprise we're all our own worst critics yeah. well I, I tell you why i felt why i felt a little bit uncomfortable or, or challenged i think is because you'll 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 know from the book I've very much now got this sort of sense of my perspective is, well, what's the worst that can happen? So I'm not, you know, whatever happens on this course, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world that's ever happened to yeah. me. And that's, that's my approach to life now. So I was really annoyed with myself at feeling so torn up about feedback from my own head. It's like, why am I allowing this? I, you know, I've, I've got past this kind of thing. But mm. I think it's, it was just a, I actually think it was essential for the learning journey to actually to, to, to have felt that, to recognise it and to review it and then say, well, yeah, you, you've got a few points there, but you, you can just turn yourself down a little bit there. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can listen to you, but not all day long. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, I suppose it's easy done when so much of the experience is built on critical reflection. What's coming up for <laughs> yeah. me? Why do I feel yeah. like that? What or who's making me feel like that? Is it true? Is it helpful? <laughs> you know, it's part yeah. of the it's part of of the process. Oh, I had my whole uh, cast of characters, you know, lined up talking to me, talking to each other, shouting at each other, uh, you know. <laughs> but but I, but I recognise that, and once that had been put in front of me, that particular tool, I, I find that a really useful tool for myself and others. Yeah, the the inner cast of characters. Yeah. Would, would you mind just saying a few words about that to people listening who might not have come across it? Uh, yeah, sure. So it's you're in a conversation, you might hear someone saying, well, you know, on the one hand this, and on the other hand that, and I keep hearing this voice saying, no, I shouldn't do that. So really, it's kind of building a character around each voice. Mm. Um, so there may be two, three, four, five, whatever, different voices in a conversation in someone's head. And it's just a way of extracting those voices, giving them personalities, having them all in, you know, share a space. What, what kind of space would they be sharing? How would they be behaving? Are they talking over each other? Is, is someone not saying anything at all? And it's just getting a client to engage in talking about that scenario. And the, I think once the voices become characters, it's almost easier to deal with those voices. Yeah, once you create a space and a, an actual personality for these characters they become far more manageable yes giving them a name and a personality yeah. means that we can sort of consciously make a decision of who to invite into the conversation and who, who perhaps not to invite into that conversation or as, as you said the amount of sort of airtime that we give those different elements of ourselves i had a fascinating one not too long ago where i started this process with someone and it was all around you know criticism and this lady suddenly said oh um Actually, something's just happened that I hadn't thought of before. The person whose who's voice is coming to me is actually, I hadn't realised, but it's a child. It's a small person, you know, giving me criticism. And that just opened up a whole avenue of, you know, conversation. Just realising that, yeah. you know, engaging, well, let's hear what that child's got to say. Let's, you know, engage. And it was, it was just fascinating for both of us. Yes. And as you say, probably completely unexpected. Totally. So, you know, we trust the process. We stay with the not knowing. We're led by the client. It's an absolutely gorgeous therapeutic technique, which has found its way into coaching because it's incredibly helpful. Particularly, again, you know, when we're doing beliefs work, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not worthy. Okay. When you hear that, then whose voice is that? And, you know, we're smiling because we know it's typically always either a parent or a teacher or someone who was in a position of power. But, yeah, there's a there's a power in sort of acknowledging that. And then we can then make a conscious decision about where we choose to go. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. We will be back in two. Hi, Kim. Hi, Adam. You know, I was thinking, there really is no single route to arriving at the Barefoot Coach Training Programme, is there? No, there isn't. People come from all walks of life, from the armed forces to aromatherapy, HR to hairdressing and teaching to taxi driving. But regardless of where they arrive from, they all share the same desire, and that is to make a change, to make a difference. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So whether people listening want to coach friends and family, coach at work, or in a new career as an accredited coach, when it comes to coach training, no two journeys are the same. You can find out where the Barefoot Line could take you by visiting barefootcoaching.co.uk. 
thank you for sharing so generously about your experience of training with us. And I'm interested then as well in having had the experience that you've had with us so recently, what advice would you give to anybody who's listening who is considering joining the programme or any other coach training programme? One of the things that attracted me to Barefoot is that I, I really wanted something with a really solid grounding in psychology. Um, that that was what that was the big attraction. There are so many kind of feel like off the shelf courses where you're presented with materials and tools that you've got to use, but, it, but they just didn't feel very grounded to me. So I would suggest that you know if you want to go for something real, tangible, solid, something that in work or just in your day to day life, something that will add value, mm-hmm. then barefoot would be it because it's phenomenal the amount of, like I say, I don't know what the phrase is, it's kind of associated learning that comes outside of the formal course. It's, you know, the learning continues with each other. And the tutors have been, have been great, had a whole spread of different types of tutors, yeah. kept in touch with those, those guys. So, yeah, the learning continues. I'm, if, you, if you're thinking about it, I would certainly say, you know, there's, you've got absolutely nothing to lose by doing a taster session. Yes. You know, there's absolutely nothing to lose. And I think that will be enough to, you know, entice someone into it. I, I actually didn't do it. I was so sold on the idea really? through, through talking to someone who was a, an alumni in the COVID year. I was so sold on it. I barely looked into it. <laughs> I was just so keen to sign up. <laughs> well, well, that's lovely to hear. We'll, and we'll definitely talk about that in a moment. Because, yes, your introduction into coaching has, has been a fascinating one but I would just want to mention the tutors actually because this is the first time our, our tutors have come up and I'm, I'm really pleased that you had that experience of them because they really are the most wonderful diverse talented faculty they're just the most incredible you know group of people all different backgrounds all different industries some have chosen to niche they have pretty much all of them have their own coaching practices as well and I would say pretty much all of them trained with barefoot so they experience the program from a delegate's point of view and then join us as tutors. We supervise them so we can we can vouch for their credentials. So just a big shout out to our wonderful tutors across all of our, our programmes. Thank, thank you for mentioning that. Oh, absolutely. And all credit to them because they have a, a curriculum to teach, to go through. But they really do treat you like human beings, you know, grown-ups. You're not made to feel small or you know well you've made an error why haven't you you know why have you done it that way um it's it's so supportive it's not like a learning experience i've ever had before really well that's wonderful to hear and i suppose an interesting point to make as well that yes although you're absolutely right there is a a framework a structure that needs to be delivered but actually those sessions almost become team coaching sessions in that the tutors are sort of assessing the capability ability of the people in the room they're they're adapting and flexing the content to suit the needs of the group yes they're making sure the outcomes are delivered but they're also you know working with a a group as you would work with any group or, or team in a coaching space so it's fascinating work can we talk then about your journey into coaching yes and, absolutely yeah. i mean you mentioned that you didn't attend a, a taster you went on recommendation which is just absolutely wonderful to hear but perhaps if we go back a little bit further I know from reading your book you only live thrice that 
your journey into coaching was an eventful one. I mentioned that right at the beginning. And I was just wondering if you could just talk us through the events that led up to you making the decision that you were going to to train to be a coach with Barefoot. Yeah, sure. You never know what's going to happen to yourself in life. And in the beginning of 2019, everything was hunky-dory. Had an event management business for 14, 15 years, happily married to kids who brought no trouble uh, to my door that I'm unaware of. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everything was going well. But then on May the 8th, I had a sudden cardiac arrest, which, you know, your heart stops, you stop breathing, and that's the way you stay unless someone intervenes. I was very fortunate. I was one of the 8% who who survived, thanks to my wife carrying out CPR and um, brilliant paramedics. I followed up with bypass surgery. A few months later, went back to work. And within a few months of going back to work, COVID hit. And being in event management, that pretty much, that wiped us out immediately. Or I realised, you know, it was open-ended and clients were already telling me they couldn't commit to events further in the year. They couldn't commit even to the following year. So I had no choice really but to wrap up the business. So then then I found myself sort of 51, 52 then with no company, no job, no formal training. You know, I'm not an accountant. I'm not an engineer. And I'd regarded surviving the cardiac arrest as the start of my second life. And I had ideas of, of what to do in that second life. And there, were, there was nothing. I wasn't going to go to Tibet and become a monk. I wasn't going to go to Ibiza and become a hedonist. I just wanted to do more of what I enjoyed and a little less of what, what didn't make me smile. Mm. But I realized then in closing the business that actually that, that was the end of my second life in a sense. And that I was presented now with a third life, a completely blank canvas. What am I going to do with it? And it terrified me absolutely terrified me. It's actually a a wonderful gift. And I came to realize that this is a great opportunity. But initially it terrified me. What what on earth am I going to do tomorrow, next month and for the rest of my life? Had no idea. You you get so woven into your identity and and, uh, as in your what you do Mm. for a living, I guess. And I felt like I had a lot to give, but I didn't I didn't know what to do. Really confused. I just started writing to get things out of my head. Had no intention of publishing a book. Didn't know anything about it. Never thought that my writing was, you know, book worthy. But then after a few months, somebody wanted to know what I was doing. Uh, well, it's, it's Damien Hughes. Sent him some pieces of work, and he just said, "You've you've got to get this published." <laughs> and I, obviously, I was like, "What are you talking about? This is just because you've published books. I I can't do that." And he came back with that killer question, that, you know, that, that a coach does. Why not you? Yeah. Ah. Oh. Right, okay. Um, so it kind of, you know, I re-edited it and, um, yeah, eventually ended up producing a book on the back of which people said to me, oh, I didn't know you could write. Can I pay you to write for us? So I sort of became a freelance copywriter. But during this whole process as well, I began to feel that I think there's, there are learnings here that, that could benefit other people. Mm. And I wanted to, I felt like coaching, somehow sharing, applying my own experience whether in business or in through, you know, the, the life, that the period of my life, I felt there might be benefits to, to other people. And that's by complete coincidence. When you open up your mind to that kind of thing, the universe starts putting doors in front of you, which you can then choose to either go through or not. And that's when uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who turned out was an alumni of, of Barefoot. And one day during my writing phase, she said, um, oh, do you mind 
we started talking about values and she produced some values cards. <laughs> and she did a values session with me and I was blown away. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because they're just, they're just cards with pictures on, cartoony pictures. But I, would just, I was really fascinated by the whole session. Yeah. And that was at the point when I realised, I, I don't know where this place is yet, but I'm signing up. <laughs> Fascinating. So it was the experience with the values cards that then led you to, to Barefoot. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'd already had so many conversations with this person. And I was already really, really fascinated. But that was, that was the last push. I didn't need any more. Mm. If those things hadn't have happened, I don't think I'd have joined the course. I don't think the sequence would have, you know, the doorways wouldn't have been put there for me to go through. I probably wouldn't have felt the need. I would still have my business, you know, I'd, have, I'd have still be working on that. So it, it's embracing whatever is presented in front of you. And I mean, your experiences on the scale are towards the more extreme end. It's quite often for people to find their way to us through what Mesiro calls either a disorienting dilemma <laughs> or a state of puzzlement. You'll have, you'll have learned all about um, situations that give rise to transformational change on the programme. I mean, it's fair to say that your experience in 2019, if, if that doesn't class as a disorienting dilemma, I don't know <laughs> what would. Between those two events as well, my, my mum passed away. And I think, oh, you know, by the, end of, by the end of 2020, when I started writing, I think I was a full 18 months behind. I, I don't think I'd fully processed what had happened to me. I hadn't really started grieving for my mum. I hadn't started, certainly hadn't started grieving for the loss of my business and, and my team, who yeah. I really, I really missed. And that whole writing process helped me process all of that. I didn't realise it at the time, but it was very cathartic. And there was, it was, it was self-therapy. But in writing the book, then I, you know, I gained the connection with this other person who then introduced me to Barefoot. There's the other career avenues opened up and, and I continue to do so. The book is on some uh, university nursing degree courses as, you know, recommended reading for the patient's perspective. I'm going into Amazing. going in to speak to them about nurse craft, which is a word that you'll have seen in the book that I mentioned. Yes. You know, so I'm found it's incredible. It's, it's all these doors appearing. I'm talking to you now on this pod that this, this wouldn't have happened. Yes. I, and I just embrace each one. Everything feels a lot of fun at the moment. <laughs> Is it fair to say then that the process of writing, the sort of creation of the, of the book has been your, well, I guess it has been your sort of entryway into your third life, a sort of salvation? Yeah, it is. I've not actually thought of it that way. No, but now you've said that, yeah, actually, it, it really is. And I thought I was writing it. Well, there, there was no goal. There was no, you know, even my wife asked me a few times, you know, well, what's your motivation for wanting to be this honest and share all of this material? And I couldn't answer that question. I really couldn't. I didn't write it for it to be the catalyst of a third life. But now you've just said that, I think it, looking back again through those wonderful optics of, uh, of, of hindsight, <laughs> yeah, that, everything seems to point to that because it's from that point that the doors started appearing. There's a, there's a saying, it's one of my sayings, I, I don't know whether I just plagiarised it or whether it's somebody else's, but this <laughs> idea that, you know, like when the universe comes knocking, you need to be ready, because if you're not ready, you won't even hear the knock. No, And no, you won't. It sort of occurs to me that the, 
experiences you had the i mean the incredible losses that you experienced these are these are major things right there's the the cardiac arrest the health the sort of collective loss that we all went through through covid let alone the additional loss of then winding up your business and then your mother passing i suppose placed you in a position where you're awake i suppose to the world around you and they because of opportunities that might therefore come your way yeah totally and i'm not a fatalist I, you know I'm, i've never gone by that that phrase of well, everything happens for a reason i'm not i'm inclined not to agree with that but that said bizarrely i wouldn't change any of it now because i wouldn't find myself where i am mm-hmm. speaking to other people that have gone through similarish things whether it's a cardiac issue or recovering from cancer or whatever i hear them saying the same thing as well it's it's not that they wouldn't change it because they enjoyed it so much being treated for cancer. It's more that they're more awake to the world yes. and they appreciate everything far more than they ever did. Not just in the gratitudinal kind of sense, they're just far more aware of life and its vibrancy and its opportunities mm. than they were before. And certainly that's, that's definitely how I, I feel. That time where you look ahead to, well, what's next year going to be? Well, I find it really difficult to predict because each time I look back on a year, I wouldn't have ever imagined I'd have done this, this, this and this. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't have predicted Barefoot on January the 1st, 2022. Wow. And yet now it's going to be such a big part of my, my life. I couldn't have predicted the book going on the degree courses. Uh, you know, so many other things I couldn't have predicted. But I embrace that not knowing I'm quite settled with that. It's almost like, wow, what's what's 23 got for us? Yeah. I mean, there is something to be said for having that successful relationship with the present, not waiting. When opportunities come our way, even though we might be perhaps a bit unsure or uncertain, we say yes, as if we've chosen it ourselves. And then wonderful things happen. Absolutely. It's rare for you to try something new and it be an absolutely awful experience. You know, you'll get something out of it. You might not know what initially, but just do it. Have a go. Yeah. You know, it, don't listen to that little voice saying, ah, no, this is not for you. You know, you know well, why not? Why not? Yeah, give it, a, give it a go. Definitely give it a go. There's another quote. I never lose. I either win or I learn. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's a wonderful mentality to keep, certainly for myself anyway. Yeah. No, no, to- totally. There's always something to be learned from, you know, whatever experience we have, which is why, you know, I, I do know some people who have gone through similar things to me in terms of the health, the health angle. What happens is you tend to then become, you know, if something happens to you health-wise, you then somehow end up knowing lots of people who've, who've had similar things <laughs> go on in their life. And some of them are very, they're re-engaging with life, but very timidly, you know, unsure as to, oh, what if it happens again? I'm worried about, mm. you're missing out on the greater chunk of the rest of your life by hiding your own light under a bushel or not engaging what, what, what's to be lost yeah the question that damien asked you well yeah why you know it's the equivalent of the why not you, you yeah know? why not you oh yeah and i've I ribbed him about that afterwards it's like that is a, such a killer question because <laughs> then you start thinking you're going well i'll tell you why not just give me a minute yes <laughs> while i make up an excuse <laughs> Carl, if you're happy for me to ask you about your experience of of having the cardiac arrest, this is quite a major moment. We've talked about it absolutely being, you know, one of the events that 
brought about the creation of your third life, as you describe it. Third life, yes. I mean, how were you on the lead up to that experience health-wise? Were you you well or did you have any sort of inkling that there might have been something not quite right? Well, for the two weeks prior, I'd been in hospital while various consultants debated whether I should have a heart bypass or a stent put in. And then eventually they decided that, yes, a bypass would be good. But they made it very clear that you're you're not critical. You're not an urgent case. I was asymptomatic. You know, I was like um, Tom Hanks in the terminal, wandering around the hospital fully clothed but unable to get out. (laughs) I was doing little errands for people. I I was barely on my bed. So I was keen to get home. And when they said, no, you you can go home, it'll be weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before, you know, you'll get a date. How did you end up in hospital in the first place? You said you were asymptomatic. How did it first present? Well, I mean, for a few years, I'd had atrial fibrillation, AF, which is a regular heartbeat due to the electrical circuitry not behaving. And I'd had a bit of a pain in my chest, but only when I breathed in. And I didn't know whether it was like a bug or something, you know, more sinister. My wife was taking no risks at all. So we went into hospital and they said, well, you might have had a minor heart attack. Really? Me? Couldn't believe that. Anyway, the only way to find out is through an angiogram. Uh, But I had to wait for that again. So waited, they did the angiogram and they said, well, the good news is you've definitely not had a heart attack. It must have been some kind of bug type thing. But by complete coincidence, we've discovered that one of your arteries is blocked or nearly blocked by complete coincidence. And the guy's words were something like, you know, to be all honest, you're a, you're a walking time bomb. And there's not much time left on the fuse. I mean, if that isn't a sentence to shake you awake, I don't know what <laughs> is. He had my full and undivided attention <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, is that the moment in the book that you describe as the fucking egg? <laughs> yes. And there it is. <laughs> yeah, just when you, you think everything is going too well, the fucking Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it was like, well, we, you, you, need a, you need a bypass or a stent. Da, 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 da. We don't know. Anyway, bypass, but go home, please, and, you know, wait it out. Within 18 hours, I had a cardiac arrest Gosh. and was dead on my, my bedroom floor. Um, well, on the bed, and my wife phoned 999, and the brilliant operator, call handler there, talked to through CPR. The paramedics arrived, two shocks, and I, I kind of came to. But for me, it was, it was because I was halfway through a, a sentence talking to my wife, no pain, nothing at all, no warning. It felt like a film being cut, a rough cut right down the middle of a, a, a scene, and then coming to gradually was waking up in an entirely different film. Jeez. I was, what on earth has happened? I've got no idea. Why are these men in green around me? You know, what's, what's going on? And even as I was sort of coming to, the paramedic, the lead paramedic, said to me, wow, this is the most I've seen someone come around so lucidly in 16 years of doing this job. Wow. You know, so that kind of planted the seed of, mm, OK, that's, that's quite rare. I'm glad it's gone so well. He told me I'd had a cardiac arrest, which I just took on the chin. as, oh, OK, right. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel pain. And so I was thinking, oh, I, I would have imagined a cardiac arrest would feel awful, but... I feel okay. And it was only probably within about 24 hours of being in hospital that enough people had said to me, you've had a really lucky outcome here. Eventually, my cardiologist told me the stats. He said, have you got any idea of the survival rate? Now I'm going off films and casualty and whatever. I'm so well, 
bit of pounding on the chest and everyone comes to, don't they? It's probably about 70 or 80%. He's like, oh, we'd love to have those kinds of figures. He said, it's about 8% out of wow. hospital. And even in hospital, it's, it's barely double that with all the trained staff, oxygen, medication. So it's a quite a rare thing. And then he said, and of that 8%, usually about half have some kind of brain damage. I was going to ask the question, how do you know I've not got brain damage? And he said, before you ask that question, he said, I can tell you haven't because we're having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't work again. You'd need 24-hour care. You know, so I began to realise the narrowness of the window that I'd somehow managed to, to crawl through. But I was plagued for months afterwards with notions of a parallel universe where I wasn't in it. Everything else was going on, but I wasn't in it. Or I was in some sort of state of disability and that was really difficult to sort of manage. Eventually I managed to shed myself of these parallel universes. Apparently again, that's, that's not uncommon. You know, your mental health suffers significantly when you go through something like that. The sort of the what if. Yeah. The what if, it was the what if all the time because by coincidence, a number of major calendar events arrived. There was a Father's Day, there was my son's 18th, there was, you know, um, passing his driving test, going to uni, all these kinds of things. And each time I was thinking, I almost didn't make it to see this. And that weighed quite heavily on me to the point whereby I was determined to make that second life the most enjoyable I could. Which again, when that's taken away from you, you know, I was mourning the, the potential for my second life, I guess. Yeah. When, when all of that went, recognising I had this third life, but it, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And even with everybody saying to you, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky to be here. There is still a, there's still a loss then that you're mourning as well as coming to terms with. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I didn't realise this until a few days after the actual date, but on that very same day that I was technically dead for 11 minutes, a schoolmate, a classmate from, even from primary school going through you know, to high school, we weren't best buddies, but we were, in that, we were in the same class. He actually died himself that day on a motorcycle. And I just, I was thinking, what are the, what are the chances of two lads from the same school class from you know, 1975 to die at the same time, apart from I've come back? Yeah. That played heavily on my mind as well. It, it was, how am I going to make the most out of this? He's gone. Facebook was washed with comments and, and wishes and that kind of thing. And, and here I am, I'm, I'm still here. It, um, it fed into my sense of, you know, you've got, you've got to make this one work. <laughs> and I'm so pleased that, yeah, that you're able to look back on it and smile. And of course, my heart goes out to, you know, your wife and your family for what they've experienced as well. I'm very pleased that you're sat here talking to me today. Thank you. So am I. <laughs> it's a fascinating journey you've been on. And for anybody who wants to read you know, more about that, and I suppose your take on Life 3.0 <laughs> yeah. perspective is a superpower, um, they can get hold of your book on Amazon, I believe. Yes. And also you've got a website. Yes, catalystpublishing.com. Yeah, uh, Amazon. Amazon is probably the best place. Fabulous. A question for you then around, and then you said it was difficult to even imagine yourself here, you know, this time last year, but what would you like the future to hold for you? I want to feel as though I'm helping in some way. And I think this is a sort of a, as you get older, you feel like you want to give more back. But I think I, I just want to feel like people will have benefited from me in somehow bringing out something in them 
So you know, coaching for me sits really comfortably in that space. I, I'm really looking forward to you know embracing that and bringing my sneaky coaching conversations out into the open a little more. <laughs> so, I, you know, but from a worky point of view, yeah, it's, it's a blend of, I really love writing. It brings out a joy in me, the, you know, the creativity. Mm-hmm. It frees up imagination, even though that was, that was about a, a chain of events. And I appreciate that it could sound like a really bleak book, but I hope you would testify that that's not the case. Absolutely. <laughs> I really, so I really enjoyed writing. I want to retain that, but I also really enjoy the coaching conversation. So I'm going to have this blend of writing and coaching. That that will be a perfect sweet spot for me. Brilliant. I mean, you're right that the book is, although it's incredibly honest, it's also at times hysterical. It's a really, really <laughs> oh, fun, Thank fun you. read. And yeah, I really enjoyed your writing style. Very honest and, and generous as well in terms of you know, the stuff that you share in there. But you do it with such playfulness. Oh, thank and you. such joy. And I'll just read actually... <laughs> as a way of bringing us to a close some of the testimonials that you have on the back of the book Um, of course a lovely testimonial from professor damien hughes but also your own if you only read one book this year then you're not reading enough oh yeah but this should be it that's from you (laughs) and your brother gets a name check as well and he says some of it's just like a real book (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's my brother Well, I wish you every success with the book and, Thanks. and also Thanks, in, your, in your coaching. It's one of our greatest joys to see how people arrive at the Barefoot course and then, you know, real joy in then what they go on to do and how Barefoot Train Coaches make a difference to the lives of other people, which undoubtedly you will. So, yeah, thank you for allowing us here at Barefoot to be part of your journey and Life 3.0. Well, as I say, you're very welcome. It's a privilege uh, to be here sharing it with you. As a way of closing us out then, Carl, what's the, what's the question or the thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think it would be celebrate the small wins. You know, I think too many people in life are always looking for the big win. Whereas in fact, the ultimate big win is all the little wins adding up. Enjoy the little things, you know, the, the, enjoy the weather. I know it's not brilliant for some people, but there's brilliant aspects to it. There's so much to celebrate. Just celebrate the small wins. They can make a big difference to your life and the lives of others. What a perfect way to close our conversation this afternoon. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then be sure to subscribe to get alerts each time we release a new episode. Just search Barefoot Coaching Podcast wherever you get yours. Oh, and if you aren't already following us on social media, then do just search for Barefoot Coaching.